able to look at my notes more today, uh, mainly because I've, uh, Friday night, a cold decided to creep its way into my throat again and into my head. So if I sound a bit bunged up, I apologize, but I think that's the majority of us this time of year. So we all just sound bunged up together. And I'm definitely going to need my water, so don't, please don't drink any more of that, thanks. Uh, <laughs> now I'm just going to balance it here. No? You're going to be worrying about the water. If I put it here, I always have to turn around. Actually, Maria, look, I'm just going to take it from you whenever you, I need it. <laughs> Thank you, friend. Uh, so we've got a week before it's our carol services next Sunday. And um, I'm, I'm really passionate about our carol services, and not just because I have to be, <laughs> because I lead this church, uh, but I think that, you know, carol services can become a moment of tradition, um, which is fine, but I think sometimes we lose the splendor and the wonder of what this moment is about, and I would love us to, to carry that to carry that in our invites, to carry that in our attitude, to carry that in, in how we turn up next Sunday, that, that we come and we gather and we, we come together to, to say, this is about when our King Jesus chose to come to earth for us. You know, like Sam said, it's the greatest love story. He didn't have to come, but this is the moment everything changed for us. This is the moment everything changed for us. This birth signifies our coming salvation. This birth signifies our eternal destiny being changed forever. This birth signifies our pathway to true freedom and life and knowing true love and grace and forgiveness and joy and peace and mercy. It is the most wonderful moment for us. And I'd love us to, to carry that wonder, to carry that splendor in our invites. Like this isn't just like a, oh, if you fancy it, our church are doing a carol service, you know, no pressure. This is a, hey, you know what? I love Christmas and I love this time of year because for me, this is about when Jesus was born and that's why I celebrate it. And I'd love you to come and hear about that as well. And maybe just experience some of the wonder and the splendor that I experience every Sunday when I go to church. And I just want us to, to keep bearing that in mind, because I know now you can already feel it a bit, that lethargicness <laughs> of this time of year. Yes, anyone else feeling that? That kind of, I'm going to slow down, you know, I'm feeling a little bit burnt out, I'm getting bunged up, I'm getting a sore throat, there's still lots to do, what family am I having to see over Christmas, what's going on, I just want to break. We can start to give in to the way of the world this time of year. We can start to give in to how the culture is telling us we need to approach Christmas season. We can start to decide to behave how the rest of the world does in the lead up to Christmas. And I want to call you to a different way this Christmas season. This has absolutely nothing to do with what I've written down, but it's what I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to me right now. I want to call you to a different way this Christmas season. I want you to maybe reset the button again this morning. I want you to maybe reset. If you've started to feel that stress, if you've started to feel tired, if you've started to feel weary, if you've started to feel like you can't be bothered or you've got low energy, I want you to take today to reset, to reset, refocus. What is this season actually about? 
And how actually can I do this season well, reflecting Christ in my family and my workplace and my friendship groups and whatever other event I have to go to in this season? How can I actually do this well as a follower of Jesus Christ and not how the world tells me this season has to go in my life? And uh, let's try and segue into what I've actually written down. (laughs) Um, I've been thinking about this. So we've been looking at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah in these couple weeks of Prepare the Way. Have you enjoyed looking at their bit of the Christmas story? I've really enjoyed studying it. Like, I've never really studied that bit of the Christmas story before, and it was really interesting to me. It sparked so many questions and intrigue about, like, that God chose to use them as part of the story in the lead-up to Jesus' birth. But I was thinking this week I've been looking at the actual birth of of John when, when Elizabeth gives birth to John. And I've been thinking about uh, what we can learn from this. And um, there's, this, there's this thing that happens in this passage at the end of it where this expectation is created for what John could do in his life. There is this expectation that is birthed in the people around them, in the villages around them, in the area where they live, of what could, what could happen through this child. There's a line that, that says in, in Luke 1 verse 66, and people literally say, what then will this child be? What then will this child be? And this has come because Elizabeth and Zechariah, how they've chosen to live their life, this moment of the birth, there's actually some moments of obedience that they've gone through that have led to this moment where an expectation and intrigue is birthed around a person. An expectation and intrigue is birthed around the person of John. And I want to say to you today, that is where I want us to get to in our lives. I want us to live such lives that the people around us go, what then could this Jesus do in me? What then could this Jesus be to me? If we live lives that cause an expectation of Jesus Christ, that cause an intrigue towards Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this and, you know, um, does anyone love watching film trailers? Anyone join me in that weird little thing? Yeah, great. So I, I love watching a film trailer. I don't know why. It's just exciting. Or anyone enjoy that bit in the cinema where, like, they show the trailers, the upcoming films. You're like, oh, I'm going to go see every single one of those. And then you never see any of them because cinema is actually really expensive. And um, so I, I love watching film trailers. And it made me think about this. And I actually saw a really good film trailer. Has anyone seen the film trailer for the next Wonder Woman coming out next year? Yes. It's, a ni- it's set in the 1980s. Any fans of the 80s, highly recommend you go see. Looks epic. Anyway, but I was, I'd watched this film trailer and I'd been thinking about this passage. And it, I was just thinking, you know, when we watch a film trailer, it gets you expectant for, for the fullness of what's ahead in that film. And when you watch a film trailer, uh, it, it, it determines whether you'll go and see it or not, right? You're like, oh, actually, yeah, that looks really interesting. That looks like it's going to be really good. I want to go and see that. It, it intrigues you. It helps make a decision for you about whether you're going to go and see a film. You know, you get a snippet of it, and then you're so pulled in, you're like, I must see the whole thing. 
I must, I will even go and spend money, extortionate money on this and snacks, which cost like 20 pounds. But I will go and do that because I'm really intrigued and I want to see the fullness of that film because it looks so good. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking about this passage and it really helped me picture actually something about how our lives can be a bit like film trailers for those who don't know Jesus Christ. Actually, our lives are like a film trailer for those around us who don't know Jesus. They set the expectation for people of what their life could be like with Jesus. Our lives do that. Your words, your actions, how you are, you set an expectation of what their life with Jesus could be like. Like a film trailer, it piques their interest. It causes them to be intrigued about something. With a film trailer, you then want to go and see the whole film. Our lives can be like that. Our lives are film trailers for those who don't know Jesus around us. They can cause people to become intrigued about Jesus. This question, what then will this child be? What then will this man be to me in my life? What then will Jesus be to me? And this is the moment that I want us to get to in our lives. I want our lives to be lived in such a way that it does cause people to ask that question. We are standing out enough. We are aligned to Jesus enough that it causes people to be intrigued about him. And you see, in this passage, this question was asked right at the end of it. The the people end up asking, who then will this child be? And that question came about. It was caused. The intrigue was caused. The expectation was set. Because of the way that Elizabeth and Zechariah had lived their lives. Not in however they wanted to live it, but in obedience to the word that God had given them. You see, preceding this question, there's a moment where Elizabeth and Zechariah, they have to obey a word God's given them. They have to actually step into obedience to a word God had given them nine months ago. And we're going to read the passage in a minute, but I want to get across to you first that the obedience created the expectation and the intrigue. I want to look actually at how the moment of obedience that Elizabeth and Zechariah went through, I want to study today what Elizabeth and Zechariah did in their moments of obedience. I want to study what it looks like to actually be living in a life of obedience so we can have that reset. We can have that check-in. We can go, does, does my life reflect this? Is, am I there? You know, is this something that how I live in my day-to-day? I want us to study what Elizabeth and Zechariah did, what it looked like to live in obedience to a word God had given them, to live in obedience to God's word to help encourage us, okay? This isn't to get you down. This isn't to make you feel like, oh no, I'm not being a good Christian. I'm no, 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 no. No, this is to help encourage you to keep living your life in obedience to the word of God because of what can be birthed in us, what can be birthed in us and to those around us when we choose to do it, when we choose to live in obedience to the word of God. You see, obedience prepares the way for others. Obedience to God prepares the way for others because it shows them a different way. It shows them to the way. 
Obedience to God sets a different expectation to what the world is doing. And when I'm talking about obedience here, because I recognize, I know when we say obedience is one of those words that can sometimes make you go like, you know, like a little bit squeamish, makes maybe like religious connotations, makes you maybe feel like there's rules attached to it, maybe makes you feel like you should be striving and trying really hard and you've got to be perfect and you've got to get it right, otherwise you're not doing it. And I, I just want you to let go of all those things. Let go of all the conceptions you have around obedience. Let go of any maybe negative feelings you have towards that word today. Because actually choosing to live in obedience is, is, is freedom. It's freedom. When I'm talking about obedience, I'm talking about accepting who you now are as a saint of God. Remember, that's what we've been doing this year. Accepting who you now are as a saint of God and you're living your life in accordance to your new identity. Letting Jesus change your mind, your thought patterns, your attitude and your behaviors. You see, obedience is just you accepting more of who you are meant to be. Obedience is just you living out more of who you are meant to be now that you're a child of God. It's not you trying. It's not you striving. It's just accepting. Obedience is just accepting the word that's been said over you. It's just accepting it into your life. Obedience is just accepting what God says about you. Accepting how he says your life should be. Accepting what he says for your purpose and your destiny. It's just accepting God's word for you. That's all obedience is. It's just accepting God's word about you and for you. And I just want to point out something else as well. You see in this, in this passage... The moment of obedience came for Elizabeth. <laughs> that was a funny accent. For Elizabeth. For the moment of obedience came for Elizabeth and Zachariah after God had done the miracle of bringing them a baby. It came after God had given them the miracle. And I want to encourage you today as well when we're thinking about obedience. For us, it's the same. Obedience follows after we've received the miracle of salvation. You see, Jesus has done the miracle for you. He's done it. He's saved you. He's, he's created a path to salvation. Obedience doesn't create your salvation. This isn't about you getting things right so you can be saved. Obedience flows from your miracle of salvation. The miracle has taken place and obedience can then follow because of that, in, in honor of that. In gratitude of that, being thankful for that, I will, I will obey my Savior because look what he's done for me. That's where obedience flows from. And just being accepting of the word of God over your life. So today what I want to do is I want to look at how did, what did it look like for Elizabeth and Zechariah to be obedient. For us to know that being obedient prepares the way for others around us. It, it offers a different way. It offers something new. It offers a way out of their chaos that the world has created. It offers them a way of peace, a way of love, a way of kindness. That's what obedience does because it, it helps you be the light. It helps you be different. It helps you stand out. You're meant to stand out as a Christian. You're meant to be noticed as offering something different. You are meant to speak differently, act differently, behave differently, think differently. You're meant to. That's who you now are once you're a child of God. But that comes from being obedient, accepting the word God has said about you. And so I want to look, um, it's kind of going to be, we're going to work through the passage today. 
And just look at what it looked like for Elizabeth and Zechariah to be obedient and what that then means to hopefully encourage you that actually in this week, you know, what could you do? How could you maybe step it up? What could you adjust again, you know, shift, have a check in with Jesus? How am I doing? Where am I at? Am I being obedient to stepping out and sharing your good news? How am I doing with that? So that's what I want to do today. Is that good? Are you up for this? Yes? You feel okay about learning about obedience? You're not too scared? No? You're going to be like, yes, this is freedom. This is just who I'm going to be. This is going to release purpose into my life. This is what it's all about. This isn't scary or religious. And so we're going to read in Luke 1 uh, from verse 57. And then I just want to, oh, went past it. And I just want to remind you before I read this. So nine months prior to this, it's obviously the moment of John's birth. Nine months prior to this, the angel Gabriel had visited Zechariah and he told him that they would have a son, that he would be called John, that he will be great before the Lord and he will go before the Lord and prepare the way for him. So nine months ago, they were given this word. Nine months ago, they had this divine Um, invitation, this divine intervention into their lives. Nine months have now passed and, and it's coming to fruition. So here we are, we're at the birth of John the Baptist, the way preparer for Jesus. And this is how it goes. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, but none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. Because remember, Zechariah can't speak because he doubted the angel, and the angel made him mute. (laughs) Interesting moment. And they said to none of your relatives called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. Mm. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So do you see that moment of obedience in there? It's very, it might seem so minute to us, so small. But nine months previously, an angel has said, You'll have a son and his name will be John. And here, they actually have to walk that bit out. It's, it's, the, it's the naming of their child. And we're going to get to actually how significant that was in a moment. But I just want you to think about, you know, have you, have you ever had a moment? Have you ever said you're going to do something? And then when the moment comes to actually doing it, you have the realization of what you've signed up to say you're going to do. And you actually have to walk it out. Do you know those moments? Like... Have you ever signed up to something and then chickened out at the last minute? Because you're like, whoa, that's too much. Um, I had a hilarious one of these moments. Um, 
<laughs> a few years ago, I just find this so hilarious that I even thought I was going to do this. Um, me and my two cousins, we were sat and we were like talking about fitness and we were like, yeah, we're going to, you know, get work on our fitness together. And so we decided to sign up to the Great North Run. Okay. I don't run in any way at all. Like, I, I never do long-distance running. I never do short-distance running. Um, when I was, like, 12, I did, I did used to do athletics, but that was, a, that was 17 years ago. And um, so we decided, me and my cousin, to sign up to the Great North Run. When we signed up, we were like, yeah, we're going to train together. We're going to do this. How cool is this going to be? First thing we did, look at cool running trainers to get, because that's obviously the most important thing to do. And uh, we were like, yeah, we can get nice outfits, to, nice outfits to run in. You're running. But anyway, that's what we were thinking about. And we were all excited, and we were so pumped for it. And we were like, yeah, we'll make a plan. My uncle signed up. He paid for us, because you actually have to pay to enter a, a race. And he paid for us. He's like, yeah, I'll pay for you. You, you do this. And we were like, yeah. We never ran the Great North Run. We never, I, I literally, I never even did one second of training towards the Great North Run. Uh, it, I remember the day came and it passed and we didn't mention it. We didn't mention that that was a thing that we, we were like, yeah, we told our family. It didn't happen. So if you ever had a moment where you, you know, you, you actually have to walk out what you've said you will do. And this moment, I feel like here is one of these moments where Elizabeth and Zechariah, they actually win at walking out something that they've been told to do. They, they don't chicken out. They don't give up. They don't, you know, let go. They actually win at walking out something that they've been told to do and an instruction that they've been given. See, they were told to name their son John by the angel Gabriel. You know, not necessarily a big deal. But this was a word from God. Okay, this wasn't just like a... Oh, we fancy naming him John. This was a word from God they'd been given that said, he will be called John. And nine months have passed since that word. With no further confirmation, they can't even talk about it to one another because Zechariah is mute. The only two people who know this, this direction from God and they can't even discuss it to help keep that, that trust and that faith alive. Yet it comes to this moment where they have their baby and their baby has to be named. And they stay obedient to the divine word that had been given to them in the naming of their son, John. You see, obedience starts with holding on to and knowing the word of God. Obedience starts with holding on to and knowing the word of God. You see, if you're struggling and, and wondering where am I at, maybe how are you doing with knowing the word of God for who you now are, what it is you are meant to be, and what your life is meant to look like now as a Christian. If you're struggling with a mindset that you know is unhealthy, go and find out what the word says. Don't just sit in that. If you're stuck in a behavior pattern, go and find out what the word says. If you're wondering what your purpose is, go and find out what the word says. You see, Elizabeth and Zechariah knew the word God had given them so they could hold on to it, so they could then enact it and be obedient to it. They remembered it. They carried it. They stuck to it. They were obedient to it. It might seem so small and insignificant, but it was a moment of obedience. 
They stuck to it. They held on to and they knew the word of God. So obedience for us, church, it starts with holding on to and knowing the word of God. We must know it. We must, if we don't know it, we can't hold on to it in a moment when it's hard to be obedient to Christ. The word is your power for doing that. So please get to know the word more. Obedience starts with holding on to and knowing the word of God. So Elizabeth is here in this moment. She's held on to the word of God. She's remembered it for nine months. She's known it, maybe kept it at the forefront of her mind through all her pregnancy. And the day comes, it says, when it's going to be the circumcision of the baby. And this is when they usually name the child back in those days. This is in that culture. This is when they named the child. And this is when Elizabeth, I keep saying Elizabeth, I don't know why, Elizabeth has to press further into obedience in this moment. So it's not enough that she just knew it and she was like, I know it and I know he's going to be, I know he's going to be called John. But she actually has to press further into obedience. You see, the people have gathered to, to carry this out and, and name the child. And cultural tradition in this moment has attempted to name the baby Zechariah. Do you remember? They said it, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. So cultural tradition has tried to step in and sway Elizabeth away from the word of God and try to tell her what her baby should be called. Should be called Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth steps in. She steps into her obedience more and she says, no. No, he shall be called John. You see, obedience perseveres through culture. Obedience perseveres through culture. Have you ever let cultural peer pressure change your behavior? I'm sure all of us in this room have had moments where that has happened. Have you ever let expectations from others change how you would have behaved in a circumstance? I think a lot of us actually get stuck here a bit when it comes to walking out obedience. I know I have. We know the word of God, like we know it, we receive it, like we've heard it, we get it, we know it, we know it. And then culture comes in and questions the word of God and we let go of the word of God and give in to the cultural pressure of the moment. Can we relate to that? The cultural pressures we feel, you know, you might be in your workplace and they might want to gossip and it's, it's easier to just join in than stand up and say no. Or maybe you're out with friends and, and they're having a few drinks and it's easier to just join in. Or, or maybe it's a family and, and how they're speaking and, and how they're behaving and, and an attitude they might have. And it's easier to just let it go and sweep it under the carpet. Have you ever had those moments where cultural pressure actually decides how you're going to behave and what it is that you're going to say? But you see, Elizabeth didn't give in to cultural pressure in this moment. She didn't give in. And I need, I need you to get how major that this moment of obedience actually was for Elizabeth. Because you see, in those times, if you didn't name your child after their father, or at least the grandfather or someone in your family, it was actually disowning the family name and all your family heritage. So it's like you were saying, they're no longer going to associate with this family and what they've done. And now, even more crazy is we know that Zechariah was from a family of priests, okay? Good heritage, significant heritage, important heritage, religious heritage. So for Elizabeth to reject 
passing on the father's name to her son was to reject what the family had done over all these hundreds of years as a family of priests. She's saying no to that. She's saying I'm not, he's not going to be associated to that. That is what's happening here in this moment. See, if you took your father's name, you took your father's occupation. You would, you would, uh, you would have followed in his footsteps. So for Elizabeth, Elizabeth to say no to taking his name, to not take his name implied that he would not take his occupation. He would not learn the way of a priest, of carrying on through the next generation what all these previous generations of his family had done up until this point. Can you see actually how significant this naming moment was? She had to go against years of cultural tradition. She had to go against years of good heritage. It wasn't like it was bad either. It wasn't like I'm going to break, you know, stop a chain of, of, of badness in this family. She, to, to say no and to, to be obedient to God and call her son John was to reject the family's ways, the family's heritage, the family's uh, occupation. This act of obedience broke tradition. It went against the cultural ways of the time. And it upset people and it upset the status quo. How we need to be walking in obedience to go against the ways of the world. We need to be upsetting the status quo with our obedience. We need to be like Elizabeth. We need to have moments where we say, no, this is how I am going to respond. This is how I'm going to act in this moment. We need to go against the cultural ways of this time. We need to be strong in doing that. When your work culture expect, expects stress and worry, have peace and don't worry. Because that's what God has said to us. It's in his word, do not worry, cast all your anxieties on me. You can have peace that transcends understanding. So why are you worrying? Why are you giving in to the stress culture that the world says you need to have? When your friends want to, to get drunk or maybe even family at Christmas time, I know sometimes that can be interesting moments when they want to drink a bit more, maybe get drunk or maybe give in to the ways of the world in some form or another to help themselves feel better. Hey, we can stay sober. We can stay different. We can stay at peace and with who we are. When your colleagues, like I said, want to gossip about a certain person, say, no, I'm not going to do that. When the world lifts up promiscuity and lust and sex being meaningless, stand up for purity. Say no. When people want to show hate to one another for uh, voting a different political party, topical of the moment, show kindness and love. Please, 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 we need to be different. We need to go against the tide of culture and push back against it to stand up for Jesus, stand up for his ways, stand up for what he says for us and about us to, to prepare the way. Because how, how is this world, when they're washed up, when they're carried away by what culture is saying, when they're caught up in the lies and the speculation and everything that is created by culture, how are they going to find their way out if we don't show them? How? How is your workplace going to improve if you don't show them what it looks like to be better? I hear people and they're like, oh, you know, I can't, I hate the culture of my workplace or it's so stressful. And I'm like, what are you doing about it? You're the light there. 
you're the different one. Don't, you can't expect the world to create something different. They're the world. You're the one who creates something different. Obedience perseveres through culture. Please, don't let cultural pressure stop you from having a moment of obedience to Jesus Christ. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But we need to be different. Because that's what sets the expectation for Jesus. That's what sets the intrigue. That's what causes the intrigue. Elizabeth going against the status quo set an expectation that John would be different. Us going against the status quo sets an expectation that Jesus will provide a different way than what the world offers. But there's another layer to Elizabeth stopping them from naming her baby Zechariah. See, if like I'd said he'd been given the name Zechariah, it's presumed and expected that he would then follow in his father's footsteps, being a priest in the temple. But if John was to fulfill his purpose of preparing the way for Jesus, it's said that he would be one crying out in the wilderness. Wilderness isn't in a temple. Wilderness is, is to be able to be free, to be out there to be able to go and prepare hearts of the people. That's what John was called to. So that's what his purpose is called to. He couldn't be in a temple to do that because he needed to be around the people who didn't know. He needed to be free. So Elizabeth being obedient to naming him John released him from that and actually able to release him into his purpose. Because obedience releases purpose for you and for others around you. Obedience releases purpose. You see, because Elizabeth said, no, he shall be called John, and he didn't get Zechariah's name, so he didn't get the job Zechariah had. He didn't get the, the ties, the cultural ties then that Zechariah would have had. He was then free. He could then actually be released into the purpose that had been said about him from God. When you step out in obedience, it releases purpose into your life. Obedience sets you free into your purpose because you learn more and more about who it is that you were always intended to be. I was chatting uh, with a friend the other day, uh, and they recently started working somewhere. And they said that they really enjoyed the office, and they were like, I really enjoy the job role. I really enjoy what it's about. But I just, I'm like confused because I just, I still feel a bit off in the workplace. Like I don't really get it. Like that I love the people, I love the job role, I love what it's about, but something just isn't sitting quite right in me. And she said she suddenly realized it's because she hadn't been stepping out in obedience to God in her workplace yet. She'd sat there with no one really knowing she went to church not telling people about Jesus, not, not stepping out in the ways of obedience that, that she'd done before. And she, as soon as she started doing that, as soon as she started, she told me she, she got an early one morning and she was praying through the whole office, praying through the whole offices, started telling people what it was that, that happened on a Sunday, what it was that Jesus was saying to her, started stepping out in obedience. She suddenly felt at peace with where she was. It suddenly felt more purposeful. And actually, what's even more amazing, and I, I kind of realized this after she told us this, is almost once she'd started doing that, it became more purposeful internally for her. 
But in fact, after that, it was hilarious because then she got all these moments of favor. And these people started saying, oh, like, I want you to work in my team. And then she had, like, two people fighting over her, like, well, I'm going to try and pay her this. I'm going to try and pay her that. So now she has a permanent job there coming up. And other doors are opening for her within that workspace because she stepped in to obedience and she found her purpose there. If you feel purposeless, try being more obedient to Christ more. I promise you it will make a difference. Because here is what happens. When you're stepping out in obedience, you're just stepping out into more and more of who you were meant to be. Because now you're a saint. What you do is based on this word. So the more and more you follow this, the more and more you obey this, the more and more you become who you're meant to be. So the more and more you'll do what you were always meant to do. If you feel purposeless, Look at how you're doing with being obedient to the word of God. I promise you it will make a difference. So Elizabeth has stayed strong. She's obeyed the word. She's obeyed the word God has given them. But then in this moment, they turn to Zechariah. They're not satisfied with Elizabeth's answer alone. You know, and maybe they might be thinking, surely the father will agree with our thoughts. Surely the father will agree with our tradition. This is his reputation at risk here. Surely, surely he won't go against it. He won't want to throw all that heritage away. He won't want to throw this away in one moment. Remember, they're elderly as well. This is probably their one child they're going to have. And he, he, surely he won't say no to, to having his legacy carried on, to having his name carried on. Surely, surely not. Surely he'll agree with culture. But what happens? Zechariah asks to have a tablet to write on. And he writes the four words, his name is John. He's obedient still, even though all that was at risk, even though he had everything to lose by doing this. He still was obedient to the word of God. And what does it say happened? In verse 63, it says, they all wondered. You see, obedience causes wonder. Obedience causes wonder. Don't you want the people around you to be left in wonder at your obedience to Jesus? What impression do we leave on the people around us? I remember a conversation that I was having at uni in my first year. There was about five girls in my halls of residence. We were all piled into this bedroom and uh, we were having a conversation about sex, as pretty topical, probably, in uh, university ways. But they were all talking about sex, and, and they'd all had sex, and they were all sexually active, and they were kind of, you know, talking about it a lot and being pretty open about it. Um, and they weren't, you know, I had a decision here of how I was going to respond. And I could have very easily not participated in that conversation, because they weren't asking me directly. They, weren't, they hadn't put me on the spot or anything like that. But I had a decision of, of what I was going to do in this moment. So I chose obedience, you know, and I shared my view that I was saving sex for marriage. And it wasn't laughter or mocking or confusion or rejection that followed my statement. It was wonder. I clearly remember them saying, wow. And one of them said this line to me, I really wish I'd done the same. 
I really wish I'd done the same. Obedience creates wonder. Wonder and intrigue about the ways of Christ. I want us to live creating moments of wonder through our obedience to Jesus Christ. Who knows where those moments of wonder will lead to? I don't know where that moment of wonder from that girl at uni six, seven years ago has led to. But maybe, just maybe, it was a seed that was planted and someone else is going to come along and water it and she's going to find Jesus. But it was sparked in that moment. Her intrigue to Jesus was sparked in that moment. And that is what our obedience can do to all of those around us. And we get to the end. I'm going to miss out a point because I've just seen the time. We get to the end of this passage, which is where we began with this question. Where what's happened, Elizabeth and John have have stayed obedient to the word God have given them in naming their, their son John. And people have wondered. And it actually says like this amazing thing. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, which is another point I had which I'll just tell you what it said, is obedience speaks further afield than you can. Go and ponder that for yourself. (laughs) I can't go into it. But at the end, we get to this question where all who had heard these things laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? Obedience creates expectation. You see, in this story, in this moment, where there's been 400 years of silence from God, Suddenly, the divine has interrupted. Suddenly, he's spoken again. Suddenly, an interest is piqued again. What's happening? A wonder has been created. A sense of intrigue has been birthed. A region has woken up to the divine activity that's taken place in these two ordinary people's lives. It says the whole region talked about these things. The whole region talked about these things. The whole region talked about the divine. A whole region has woken up. A neighborhood is talking about a God-given word. A family is left in wonder at the direction that has been given to this couple. A father has given his speech back and he immediately praises God. A mother has stood her ground for her child and for the word given to him. And a way has been prepared. An expectation has been set and the scene is prepared for the arrival of their Lord and Savior. You see, a people who stand up, a people who stand up for the word of God, a people who follow the word of God, a people who obey the word of God, a people who determine to live a life of obedience to the word of God, a people who are willing to be changed by the word of God. Are you willing to be changed? By the word of God? A people who show a different way because of the word of God. They are the people who create an expectation for the arrival of Jesus into other people's lives. They prepare the way by creating wonder and intrigue to entice those who don't know Jesus to start taking steps along the path to accepting him into their lives. And I want to leave you with these questions today. How are you doing with living in obedience to the word of God? How are you doing in living in obedience to your identity 
as saint? Do you need to start at the beginning and know the word more? Do you need to have moments where you push past culture in obedience? Do you need to realize and accept that obedience actually releases purpose? Have you had moments where your obedience has created wonder? Maybe you need to remind yourself of those moments. Do you need to focus on obeying in private situations, in your home and with your family? So alongside your inviting this week, I want us to create expectations with your obedience in private, in your home, and in public as we step out and about. I think I'm going to invite my husband to do communion. Yeah, yeah, we've got it. (laughs) Sorry, he wasn't totally prepared for that. But we're going to close this by doing communion. And um, it's just a way to, to reset, realign yourself again to, to what Jesus has done for you. How am I doing in honoring that? Okay? How am I doing in living a life of honor and obedience to, to the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection again? Come and recenter yourself again on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Come recenter, repurpose, realign yourself again. So this week, I hope this week, you have a different attitude to what the culture says you should have this week. The week before Christmas, the week when it could be the most stressed, the most tired you'll ever feel. I'm going to declare and propose you'll be different. In Jesus' name, through his strength, through obedience to him, there is a different way, a new way for yourself, but also to spark the intrigue and expectation for others. So that maybe next Sunday, there's more people who will accept him as a leader and savior.